Unplug it to the Agora's Nexus We need the whole community connected We're the alternative collective Self-sufficient and effective the Agoras Nexus podcast. I'm Jeremiah Harding, joined by Radical Residence. Um, and we're going to talk today about sort of the piece to the uh, discussion last week. Um, well, I mean, yeah, sort of last week, but also sort of recorded closer when we actually recorded it. Um, it's sort of staggered in terms of release. Um, and also related to the uh, appearance on pod that, that I put out there uh, in order to black pill their audience. So if you all want to check that out, feel free. Another thing you can feel free to check out is PreSearch, which is a blockchain-based decentralized privacy forward search engine, which allows you to de-Google and also sort of if you want to use the search engines that uh, that you've already used, you can do that. They have a uh, search engine that's designed to be uncensored um, and designed to let you uh, get more control over your search experience, less privacy invasion. And so that's what that's all about. Uh, it's based on a blockchain. You get rewarded for searching. So you can uh, sign up for free and we will get rewarded by the sponsor continuing to give us money. Also, if you have something to advertise, um, then you can stake your keywords on pre-search. Uh, so you can use it sort of as a way to get free advertising. You search, you get tokens, you can stake those tokens in ads. So it's a self-feeding ecosystem of uh, getting your name out there. And uh, or just like using something that uh, that's better than uh, than the privacy sucking uh, social uh, sorts of search engines that you have now. Uh, verify your email and uh, we will get supported and so will you. Um, with that being said, um, I am pleased to welcome the other half of that equation and uh, she's going to talk about some more of the nut bolts of how to actually use what we talked about last. So before we get into anything, uh, what made you want to get into all of this? Um, so in 2015, I was in community college and uh, I was like hanging out with one of my classmates and he, he said something along the lines of like, what are your political affiliations or whatever? And I said, oh, you know, I think I'm a social Democrat. You know, the thing like they brainwash you to think in college or whatever. He was like, do you really think that it's caring about people if the government forces you to do it and I'd never even thought about that before you know like um so I guess like that question pushed me down the road to start looking into number one like getting away from this like being dependent on the state and then number two like looking into all of the things that they consider to be safe and good for us as people and like how I just blindly believed that, you know? Um, so like that one question I read after that, I read ethics of Liberty. Like I went home that night and read ethics of Liberty by Murray Rothbard. I had like a whiteboard in my bedroom and it was filled with all of these quotes from the book. And, um, so like after that, I got super involved in the online community more so than in real life yet. Like I didn't know what I was doing or, anybody really outside of, you know, my family at the time. And they were all thinking I had lost my mind. <laughs> um, so that's where I met SEC was online. Um, we were like 
uh, Facebook friends. And then he wanted to some help in a group he was in called we, the people or something, um, like just talking to people about stuff or whatever, but he was actually doing real things at that point. He was, um, guerrilla gardening in Southern California. He was doing a whole lot of outreach with the homeless there. And, um, he just went like MIA one day and I went full on stalker and was like blasting his, well, it wasn't even his picture. It was like a fake profile picture or whatever. Um, like all over the place trying to find out if he had gotten in jail. Like I thought he had been thrown in jail for the outreach that he was doing or whatever, but he was fine. And a couple years later, he like wound up hitting me back up or whatever. And we talked, um, but I didn't like really start getting into growing things until he moved here. Cause I thought like, I have a black thumb. There's no way I can ever grow anything. But when he moved here, he got like, we lived in a tiny apartment and they had some raised beds outside. Um, and so he got some good soil and put the soil in. And then, you know, we went and got seeds and plants and he was like showing me how to go about like just starting a garden. Um, and I guess that was like, my it was it was my first time ever successfully growing my own food that was 2018 um so I, I like i'm fairly new to all of this uh but i got like a super crash course so <laughs> hey you know five years isn't i wouldn't say five years is super new uh, yeah, i would well, say because <laughs> because like I, I i don't know i i'm i'm the same way like what I'm what I've learned and how good I am at something it's sort of a way to never be complacent and so I get that you know but like I don't, I don't know five, five years you've been at this for quite some time like that's a quarter of a kid's life yeah <laughs> yeah I, I guess um, it's most of my older child's life we've been growing our own food so yeah yeah um well okay let's get into that then because you said before the call that uh that you do this partly so that you can get close to your family and i think that's fucking great i don't, like people who've been like associated with and following me for uh some time know that i'm pretty annoying about the subject of like the the future generations need to be treated right like peaceful parenting sort of teach them the ways make them the the better example um, in, in order to like thwart the statist notion that we need their culture in order to thrive. So like uh, what what started the like using this as a way to bond thing and uh, how does that manifest in your your normal life? So that started just like naturally um, because when I'm outside, you know, planting things or whatever, my kids have to be there with me, especially the little one. Um, and you know, my oldest will come back in sometimes, but she enjoys it now. Like initially getting her into it, it, it was a learning process and there was a curve, a steep curve. And she didn't, sometimes she didn't really want to help. And there are still times where she's like, no, I don't want to do that. I would rather go talk to my friends or whatever. But, um, like seeing the whole process and like, so growing things is, so there's like a lot of ways that you can create, right? Like people use art or, um, you know, like a whole, so this is like a way that you can create, like creating life, 
this, that's what we're doing. So we like get to see the whole process yeah. it's educational. Um, and after she gets like through the initial, okay, this is work bit and like starts to see that we get uh, like benefit from it, you know, like we get the beans and we get the tomatoes and we get to eat that all winter and we don't have to worry about going grocery shopping as much and like all of those like benefits that we get from it. Um, after she started to, you know, see that she was more interested in getting involved. So like initially it, there was a lot of pushback, but, um, you know, I'm not one to like force her to get involved with anything with me. So I'm trying, I was like trying to show her the whole time, like there are reasons why I'm doing this. So like year one was a little bit more difficult, but now she's excited to go out in the garden when it's time. And she's excited to help me plan the garden. And the little one is super excited because, you know, she's almost two. So she puts the seeds in holes and then co covers them up and she'll tell them good night, night, night seeds or whatever. So it's cute. Um, but yeah, it's, part of, I guess, education for them because they don't go to public school um, and they're not, you know, we don't do set learning times or anything like that. Like they learn through living like we yeah. should, I guess. Um, so I think learning to grow food is super important for the next generation, like for every generation. And it got lost. I, I didn't know how to grow my own food until I was almost 30. So for my child to know how to grow her own food, like before she's 10 years old, she could go out and plant a garden and plant the food that she needs to make it probably, well, I don't know if she'd be able to do that by herself yet, but plant the food that she needs to, you know, be able to eat some, but she wouldn't be able to make it through winter yet, but. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so ultimately, okay. I, that that would be the point of curiosity like I guess before we move on is what what do your kids do like in terms of capacity and what would your like general advice track be to parents who want to get their kids into this stuff um my oldest can do just about anything that I can do at this point she's almost 10 so um she knows how to like lay out rows. She knows how to put the seeds in. She knows how to water. She knows how to harvest almost everything. Um, I haven't let her pressure can yet. <laughs> um, but you know, maybe next year, uh, when, when it comes to preserving things, she could probably run the dehydrator just fine though. Um, and the, the little one, you know, she's still just at that putting seeds in phase, but I would say if you want to get your kids involved, just let them try everything. Get more seeds than you need. Let them have their own little patch. Let them go at it. Let them plant what they want and see how things grow. And like you, they can make notes about it. They can observe it. You could make it a science experiment if you wanted to do it that way. Like have them take pictures as things grow and, you know, they can look at their pictures compared to other pictures and see, okay, so my plant looks a little more yellow. Maybe it needs more of this in the soil. I mean, like there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do to help your kids get involved and to use it to teach them like so that they can be better gardeners when they get older. Yeah, well, and also so that they can pass the information on because the more they learn then that that they use on a practical and regular basis the the better capable they will be to pass it on like like 
I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but the things that I did practice uh, like translate to now. Um, and it's it's sort of like that with a lot of things. You know, you start to build that basis for that like neural like sort of net that 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 patterns that neuroplasticity is still there and you can form a lot of your brain around it. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, and like being able to tell their friends or their own children when they're older, like this is what you do and this is how you do it. And this is like, this is why that's um, definitely something that I'm aiming for. And we spend a lot of time focusing on the, this is why part. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So let's focus on the, this is why part for a second here uh, and talk about the, uh, the, the general like uh, application because like, Last week, we we discussed like the nuts and bolts of how to get there. Um, he talked about how to maximize yield and minimize effort and like the the box setups you use, the uh, the worms, uh, the multiple layers and levels of uh, compost and what to compost, et cetera. But there like you do a lot of this yourself. So like, are there any like potential gaps that he might have missed that you take care of on a more like personal basis? Um, I'm not sure because I didn't listen to <laughs> what he said. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I've just been doing recently is we do a lot of container gardening here too. So we have the in-ground garden, but we do a lot um, in like pots and stuff. So like I have to empty those and then in the spring we refill them. Um. And that's just to make sure that we get proper soil and nutrients in there. And then I can base my soil content around what plant I'm putting in. So like some plants need more phosphorus, some plants need more nitrogen and, and so on and so forth. So you can like base uh, your soil composition. You can add like uh, coconut fiber or whatever if you're planting like little seeds. Um, so we can like I, I do most of that. He definitely does a lot of the like compost and soil like sifting and all of that stuff though um like we've got a bunch of bins out there and he like rotates those and sifts through the dirt for me so okay so well uh, let's talk about uh some some of the stuff you brought up then like when you say coconut fiber if you've got little plants um, that implies that if it's a bigger plant, you need like a different fiber. So let's let's talk about because I'm assuming you're talking about general substrate, that kind of thing, like mm -hmm. what to put in the soil. So like give us, I guess, like Brad Rez's guide to substrate. Like what is the uh, the ultimate substrate for certain things that you would plant? Um, so like for seed starting, you can use like peat moss and coconut fiber and some compost in there. And uh, like you can probably like, I don't know, you get those like trays of seeds at the store or whatever. You can use yeah. those, reuse those. We reuse those. I've got like a whole giant stack of them in the shed. Um, so you'd fill, fill them with that and then you put your seeds in there and start them in that. And then when they're bigger, you want to transfer over into some actual soil. But that, I mean, that works great for getting them started. It's got um, 
a lot, a lot of aeration and it, it makes sure that the moisture can get down to the roots. And, um, it's just great for like little baby seeds, uh, seedlings or whatever. So that's what I use in here when I start indoors, which I don't start a lot of seeds indoors. Um, which he probably didn't talk about that, but I do to, to the tomatoes and cabbages, um, and some of the other cold crops and a lot of the herbs I will start inside because it takes them forever. And that way they're producing by like midsummer and I have time to use some and then preserve some later for use over the winter. Yeah. Well, okay. So let, let's, let's talk about that then. What plants like, cause you live, uh, you, you live down South. Um, what plants would you recommend um like for that sort of purpose um which plants should you start indoors versus outdoors and why so that's going to depend a huge amount on your goals and your growing zone um so i start tomatoes indoors because i want them to produce fruit earlier for me um and here i think most of the time it's recommended that you don't start anything outdoors or don't transplant outdoors until after mother's day, which is like the first week of may. Um, and that's kind of a late start for a lot of people. So the tomatoes definitely, but I start cucumbers to, for seed outside. Um, and they get to maturity just fine. If I plant them after that, then we'll get, you know, last year we got, 150 jars of pickles from cucumbers that we had in the garden and that was just it's probably like eight weeks of fruiting so that they they do fine um if you start them outdoors but peppers i start inside um rosemary any of the like herbs that need special attention when they're small seedlings um so lavender but Cilantro does fine if you just sow it like after last frost, it grows fast. Um, the biggest issue I have with that one is it will bolt before I even get to use a lot of it uh, because of the weather change here. So it goes from like frozen to incredibly hot and then the plants yeah. are like, oh yeah, we're, we're done now. Let's make seeds. <laughs> so sometimes I'll do like two rounds of cilantro. Um, so I'll plant one and then it'll bolt and then I'll plant another round. Um, let's see, what else did I do inside? I don't know. I think it's mostly just the tomatoes and peppers that I'll start indoors. Um, last year we did a whole lot of okra and we did those in containers. Um, and they're ones that you have to wait till it's like the soil is like 60 degrees or above. Um, but I had, this is a weird story. I had like they put out like 80 seeds and I had maybe 12 plants that came up immediately and then a whole row that just took probably like two weeks longer to come up. And then they didn't fruit until the end of the season. So like some of the fruit that was on there, like, I mean, it, I let it go um, so I could save it for seeds, but it was like right before the first frost. So I don't know what happened there. It's just like some things like one spot better than another spot and you can move them four feet and then they do better. It's like the sunlight <laughs> and all of that. But, um, uh, that, that's like one of the things that you just learn experimenting with your own 
stuff where you're at. So like grow, we have uh, the vegetable garden, the back garden and the side garden. Um, so like move things around. So you plant tomatoes and they didn't do good in one spot, move them to a next spot next year and try again there. Or if you plant yeah. something in the ground and it doesn't do well, try putting it in a container. If you plant something in a container and it doesn't do well, try putting it in the ground. So it's just like a lot of things that just uh, trial and error, you know? Yeah, especially given the fact that like this is advice for a specific biome and like people need to realize that, you know, if, if you live in Siberia, this advice is not good for you. Um, like the, find out like what your biome is, what the demands are and live within that. Be like like sort of harmony with the, the nature you're trying to build or it's not going to work. Um, you know, like, so for you and your biome, you trialed and aired this sort of thing, but also don't be afraid to not follow this advice if your biome is different and something else would work for you. Like, that's one of the things about gardening is it's very individualistic and independent. Um, and so for you, you like found some basic stuff, um, like found out how to do it and then, you know, just did it. That's the most important thing. So, like, let me ask then, what resources did you start with in this regard? Like, what were there books? Was it mostly YouTube videos? What was it? Man, I had the best resource getting started with SEC because, I, like I said, I was a black thumb before that. And he has, mm. like, held my hand every step of the way. And every time I have problems... You know, he's the one who's like, okay, we'll try this or we'll try that. Um, so if you guys aren't following him, you should, Sek Magora, because he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this kind of topic specifically. Um, and, you know, on top of that, I have fantastic friends like uh, Ray from, I'm on the Let's Make Some Shit podcast and she's my other half on there. And uh, she's been doing this kind of thing for a very long time, too. Um, and she is always ready and willing to answer any questions that I have. And then we also have another friend locally who uh, she I think I found her husband through the Freedom Cell Network here locally or whatever. But she also they have um, they're unschooling their children. They have backyard chickens. They've got like a big giant garden. And she's the one who's helping me out with like all of the seed starts or whatever. So it's actually more community that's been helping me than anything else. Um, like I've right. so several books on gardening or whatever. But the, the biggest thing that I've found is that like if you ask questions, there are so many people who want to help you. <laughs> yeah, well, and. and 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 that's like a key part here because like um so i talk a lot about like you know talk to your neighbor try to you know actually get to know people don't be afraid to talk to people on the street don't be able to don't be afraid to like have a community because like that's one of the things that the state has done is that it's alienated us from one another and like forced us indoors kept us on screens and like you know oh it, is that a source do you have a well yeah i have a source i'm doing it look at my doing it um and like that's lost in a lot of respects like people like 
overly rely on external like resources when they should be networking with their community and if they do they would have verifiable like proof that these things are possible and that these things are working because they got the crop you know from from exchanges i always talk about like you know the benefits of yard gardening and like networking with people in your local area to swap the product of yard gardening like food not lawns uh like food not lawns that sort of thing you know um that that sort of mentality of we're going to use our space for what it's for which is to grow life um and that sort of thing sort of translates in practical use and application to a better future because humans are doing what they should do and like being a social species um and so like you know while books are very useful and while i do recommend some um like it's always good to hear that people are actually doing um this sort of thing in their community um though you do say you have some books um are there any that you would recommend um i think there's one that's called i think it's called the survivalist garden but i i'm not sure of the actual name of it at this point it's been probably two years since i picked it up um but that one was super helpful for me like getting just getting started and like trying to figure out what i needed to grow versus what I wanted to grow, you know? Um, and I think that's probably yeah. a huge hurdle for a lot of people is trying to decide, okay, so what, what can I grow? That's going to give me the most calories for the least amount of labor in the long term, Um, and, and that I can store. So this year we like tried, uh, with chickpeas and, um, that was, that was fun and interesting. And I got a whole big garden full of chickpeas and then none of them fruited so i'm gonna try again next year <laughs> yeah sometimes you like grow so, a whole garden full of something and then you know you get like one or two fruits or whatever and that just happens and i we did that with pumpkins the first year and i was like i'm never growing pumpkins again it's not happening just wasted all my time doing this and and uh sec was like no we gotta try it we gotta try again we messed up here this was the problem we can fix it and go at it again so that's what we're going to try again next year and plant the chickpeas a little earlier and see if we can get them to fruit but i don't know if i'm going to use the whole garden for it again <laughs> well so in in that regard like two things i guess the first thing would be of your successful crops which has been the most like sort of calorically dense what what have you gotten the most bang for your buck out of probably squashes so last year i didn't even plant butternut but we got butternut growing up in our compost bins and i probably have 35 butternut squash and i didn't have to like i didn't even water them i didn't know the plants were gonna survive this is like literally growing up from our compost from a squash from the previous year um so that was you know considering the fact that i didn't take the time to plant the seeds i didn't have to water them i didn't like give them anything other than they grew in my compost bin uh and now i have probably 30 squash cured downstairs well maybe not 30 anymore because we've eaten some but i i had like 30 squash from the one plant so if you're yeah. looking 
for that. I would say, especially if you're in like the Southeast, like us, the squashes are the way to go. So like the acorn squash, pumpkins, um, the butternut squash, spaghetti squash, even like all of those. Um, and they're filling too, and you can store them. Uh, you can can them or you can cure them and just store them like they are. So, um, like the, they're super easy to work with. Yeah, you know, like I didn't like squash um, because I really hadn't experimented much with it in cooking. Um, and then, like, I, I got given, like, basically free squash a while back. Um, and so I had to suddenly find ways of using it, um, you know, because, like, I'll take it if somebody's given food, like, especially if they're going to throw it out if they don't want it. Um, so I, I took this squash. And I looked up how to use it because I, to be honest, had never done that before. Um, and I found out all I had to do to make it something I would want would be to chop it into cubes and then boil it. So, like, that's easy. That's something I can do. Yeah. Um, so that's why one of the things that I do with the butternut squashes here or... Um, puree it and then put like a whole lot of butter or some other kind of animal fat in there and um like with some herbs and stuff it's real good it's a great like potato substitute and then we also use them all the time in soup stews you can use them as a thickener for soups and stews um or you can puree them and can them like that and i know the fda is going to tell you not to do that but if you know some giant company can do it and make a profit off of it so can i so actually then that would be the second thing that i would ask is like in general because of this sort of thing um i get the impression that you get a lot of crops that like for instance um Sec last time, like when when he was on, he said that like you get like so much that you're like giving them away uh, when you can't use them all, especially zucchini. Zucchini, yeah. <laughs> this whole like conversation about like what to do with yeah, <laughs> and so like ultimately, are you using this as a way to prep? And if so, like what does your prep sort of situation look like? Do you have a pantry or something? Oh, we do. We have a pantry. Um, a lot of it is pickled foods um, because that that's going to preserve longer um, and it's easier to do than pressure canning everything. Um, so I've got like pickled okra and then pickled cucumbers, different kinds of canned pickled tomatoes, which is, you know, weird for some people, but it works. Um, and then Oh, we've got the water glassed eggs. Um, and and that's a huge one for us here too, especially with the chickens and uh, producing over the summer, we get more than we need so we can save them for winter months with the water glassing. Um, well, m like a lot of people probably don't know what water glassing even is. So do you mind describing that? Yeah, sure. It's um, so what, what I'll do is take, a gallon container. It doesn't have to be glass, but glass works. Uh, fill it with water, put my eggs in there, and then you put calcium carbonate or um, food grade lime in there. And you could also just 
use like the eggshells, save eggshells from your eggs that you're eating in the summer and dry them out and grind them up with like a mortar and pestle or a spice grinder or something. Um, I don't know what the ratio is offhand, but it's very easy to find it. Um, or you can just ask other people cause they might know. I don't remember, but, um, so you add that water, add that to your water, put the eggs in there. And what happens is the calcium fills in the holes on the eggshell. So the eggshell has like a semi-permeable membrane and the calcium fills in those holes to preserve the eggs for longer. And I think the shelf life is like up to 18 months, but we never let them go that long. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So it's, it's up to 18 months. So that would be for like a shorter yeah, you want to like rotate it out like you do with most of your crap stuff, right? So they shit hits like, the fan. Yeah. Yeah, you want to rotate it out like you do with most of your prep stuff, you know? Um, like you use the old stuff and then when you get new, put it back in there. Um, and thankfully with stuff like eggs, if you have backyard chickens or you have friends with backyard chickens, that's a source of protein and fats that you don't have to worry about super much if shit hits the fan and you're re you're relying on state supply chains for eggs then yeah you're probably kind of screwed but if you and your homies all have your own chickens then nobody's going to be worried about where their eggs are coming from you know yeah well so do, do you preserve them any other way than water glassing though is, is what i was going to ask before my internet decided to kill me <laughs> um do, do you do, do you like powder them or anything or anything like that i haven't I've, I haven't done that, but one, one of my friends here has done that. They do the powdered egg thing and then they use it. Um, so they'll, they'll rotate through their stash of that too, but they use it in like their chicken feed. So chickens can have like um, different. So a lot of them will actually eat their own eggs, which is sad for a couple of reasons, but um, chickens do that. They're little dinosaurs and they'll eat whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> um so like but they'll use that in their chicken feed to make sure that their chickens stay uh healthy or whatever and then you know use it in like substitute for eggs or whatever if they need to um but most of the time if you've got chickens you don't really need egg substitutes because <laughs> you can just use the eggs yeah well yeah and, i don't you know, know that's, how that that's... works though like yep. powdering the eggs I don't know what they do. This is like cook them yeah, or well, I, dehydrate them or what. I would assume. Yeah, I would assume that they would use a dehydrator rack. That's what I would assume. I'm, you know, and then like grind them finely. Probably. Yeah. That's what I do with like the um, tomato skins and stuff. So like whenever we preserve tomatoes, um, this year I did freezer. So we got probably. 10 gallons of tomatoes that I stored from summer in the freezer because I just didn't want to deal with them yet. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. Pressure canning tomatoes. Um, so I froze them and I will never do it another way because it, I pulled them out and when I thawed them, the skin just peeled right off. And that's generally the most time consuming part is peeling the skin off and getting the seeds out. <laughs> but with that and like just a tiny metal sieve, I can, you know, get the seeds out in the skin just came right off and it took me probably a quarter of the time it's taken me in the past to to get the I think I got six and a half quarts of tomato sauce out of that so but yeah 
the dehydrators, what well, and, I do and, with the seeds and skins and stuff, I dehydrate it and then put it in the spice grinder and then make a little tomato powder and you can use it to season stuff or whatever. Yeah, well, and and like people get like weird about freezing, like it is spe- so spinach is a good example that frustrates the fuck out of me where people are like, oh, I need my spinach to look awesome and I don't care about its <laughs> nutritional like profile. You know, I it frustrates the fuck out of me because I they freeze it at peak freshness for what they have there. So you get more nutrients from the frozen products, like generally from the frozen aisle in general, than you do from the fresh produce section because it's not fucking fresh. Um, like <laughs> that's why they got to like put all these paraben waxes on it and shit like that. But th- that would be a good question. When you do your per- like sort of preserving, do you do anything like paraben waxes or is it just pickling, curing, freezing? Yeah, so that's, uh, we froze a whole bunch of zucchini this year, but that's that's it. Like I can stuff, I pressure can stuff, um, I water bath can stuff, I pickle things, I dehydrate things. I'll be dehydrating a lot more now because um, I got a dehydrator for Christmas, so. It's been uh, very cool. Yeah, it's been fun trying to dehydrate things in the oven. Um, I've burned quite a bit. <laughs> um, well, but it's doable and, and, if and you like, have an oven that goes low enough temp, it's doable. It's just you got to pay more attention than you do with a dehydrator. Yeah, now that you have a dehydrator, you can do more of this. Like I was talking with Sec about this, like this chick on on tiktok or whatever she found a use for onion peels where she like rinsed them off in some water and she dehydrated those and then she turned that into an onion powder okay things cool. like that yeah, yeah. that's um, neat. i mean i've been using them for vegetable stocks or whatever but an onion making my own onion powder would be nice yeah and and like i was like oh so that would be an actual use for it that wouldn't just be throwing it into the uh, the because we have a compost heap here as well. But like I'm not really involved in the gardening process, especially since I'm about to move. Um, but like the, the we have a bucket and like I'll just throw my onion scraps in there and they'll and, you know, they'll do the controlled rot thing. But if I could just eat the onion by default and like just throw out like the little root segments at the uh, at the ends like do the standard like you know pull to pull twice and then cut the corners off thing and if Mm -hmm. that was all i was throwing like into the the compost that would be a lot more economical in the short term um so yeah just little things but it i guess then in that regard because we've been talking a lot about like the, the more normal gardening stuff um let's get a little bit weird um and we we t- like sec mentioned basically he referred to you as the chemist um <laughs> and that you do the the weird shit with the with the product and what i was wondering is in terms of that chemistry uh proverbially speaking what what generally do you make that most people wouldn't consider making um so I have done, um, an ex- I do extractions with different things. So I tried to do uh, peppermint essential oil extraction. Essential oil is, it requires a lot of product for one, and it's pretty involved. So it's not something that your everyday person is going to be able or willing or have the equipment to do. Um, 
so I mean, that's one thing. Um, I've done penicillin with like moldy bread and moldy oranges and we cultivated the penicillin mold itself and then did um, a double extraction and a wash to make it shelf stable. So we did that. Um, and then we've done limonene extraction from orange peels. Um, and that's a good one to have on hand too, because it's great for cleaning and it smells good. Uh, but it's not like necessary, like you would think you would think penicillin is far more necessary to have around than, you know, something that's going to make your house smell like lemony, but you know, lemon fresh, why not? <laughs> when it's something I made myself. <laughs> Very cool. So, and also what I was told is, um, if, if I remember, you make shine. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've so, got, um, you know, we've done mashes from our own corn before. We do um, add, I add fruits to it. And I guess technically that's a bourbon when you add fruits to your mash or whatever. I don't know. It's all moonshine to me. Um, and I use it mostly for purposes of like making tinctures and doing other extractions. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of the herbs that we grow or herbs that me and the kids find when we're out and about, um, I will either dry or just go ahead and throw in some alcohol fresh. And then, you know, you after you've been out and about and like looking around and examining the things that you grow, you can like look into what their benefits are, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that started for me in 2020, um, with the coronavirus, all of that crap and everybody freaking out or whatever. So I was like, all right, what, what do we have here? What is growing around me and how can I use it? Um, and like rosemary was one of the plate first you know, places that I started. It's got rosmarinic acid, which is an antimicrobial. Um, so it's got antibiotic properties. It's very good for you for a lot of reasons. And a lot of people use it like for cooking, which is great. It, it's going to give you all of those good, healthy benefits cooking, but you can extract the medicinal qualities, the medicinal compounds using a little bit of ethanol, and then you get a much more potent medicine as opposed to, you know, just putting the rosemary in your spaghetti sauce or whatever. Um, so that's like one of the first ones that I started with. And then, you know, from there it was like, what's this grass and what's that grass? And, you know, make the people who are writing this simulation, like have to actually code shit that I'm looking at as opposed to, you know, it just passing in my, my head as, oh, that's all just grass, you know? Um, but that was it. Like, yeah stuff out in the in the back field we have a huge field back there and so it's just like what is this one and what is that one and what can i use it for um just finding out all of those new and interesting plants and that was a huge another huge thing for me and my kids because you know it, it gets us all outside together and um and then they can learn how to identify things and taxonomy and things like that you know that uh, a lot of kids in school will see on a piece of paper but never actually get that firsthand experience with and my kids are out there like learning how to classify plants based on looking at the actual plant as opposed to a diagram of it you know so yeah well and and like so on that score first off I, I i think people have a misconception of shine that the only people who make it are just like backwoods fucking illegal <laughs> distillery but fucking like 
we we make this garbage out there and we try not to go blind because we don't fully understand <laughs> the chemical process and you know just this stigma and this bad reputation and like the basic like concept of shine is just like extremely like purified and distilled grain alcohol which you need for fucking like you need it for not only like cleansing wounds but you need it for like um you know uh preserving certain things extracting certain things you can use it in cooking and there's a lot of stuff that people don't even consider because they just think that people who make their own want to get trashed all the time um so like i i think uh, in order to get like a better idea here what initially started to draw you to this uh, particular thing, like making the shine, and how does it differ from, I guess, public perception? Um, well, initially, I started, so I had gone to community college, and I had um, taken a couple of organic chemistry classes, and I had, like, a pressure cooker sitting at home that I had found at, uh, like, a thrift store or something, and I never used it. And I was like, I bet. I bet I could make a still out of that. So it's like something that, you know, just seeing the things in different lab courses or whatever, I was just like, I bet I could do this at home. Um, and at that point, you know, I was dipping my toes a little bit into illegalism just because why do I need to be paying all of this extra money to the state to make medicine or, you know, not pay a sin tax, right? A sin tax for making medicine. Yeah. Like what the fuck, <laughs> you know, for sure. um, it's not a sin. It's not a sin to extract medicine. And I mean, even if people are using it to get trash, who the fuck decides what a sin is? Why should the state? Um, anyway, so I mean like that. And then after I had made my first still using that pressure cooker and some copper tubing and uh, the condenser on that was really fucky, but it worked and it, it made a little bit of alcohol. Um, and then when, uh, sec moved here at that point, it was a, like for me starting to make it a lot here, I guess it was, um, cause we were, let's see, he was, he had worked at this mulch yard in Knoxville and uh, we were, like, trying to um, avoid more tax dollars, I guess. So I was mostly making it at that point just for him. Um, and then I really started to ramp it up when I when I looked into making my own medicines here. Um, so, like, for a while, it was just, like, one run every, you know, other month or so. And then it turned into something that it was, like, uh, you know... I generally have at least five gallons of mash and generally have at least, you know, that much, if not more of the ethanol, just, you know, in case I decide I want to use it for a tincture. And we also use it like for trade. And then I supply for some of my friends here who use it for making their own medicine. So, um, you know, like there are some people who will use it for drinking, but I don't make it for that purpose. It's not like the best tasting. I haven't focused on the recipe for that reason. You know, like I focused on the recipe for getting the most amount for the amount of money that I put into it. 
and the amount of time. Um, but there are a lot of people who are like, you know, perfecting theirs with the brewer's yeast or the champagne yeast or whatever. And then they get into the different kinds of grains and all of that. And I'm, I'm generally just like a, you know, sugar corn and bread yeast in there and let it sit for a little bit, you know, um, yeah. just to get the ethanol itself, because I'm not super concerned whether or not it tastes great. Um, yeah, yeah, well, and, and also just because I have to, because I was literally trained as a preacher when I was a kid. Um, like the, the idea of a sin tax is so atrocious because the only like real Christianity is anarchist Christianity. If you're, you know, a statist Christian, you're, you're like literally disobeying the Bible because Christ uh, literally had instructions to avoid the entire involvement in that process, and he would regularly oppose people doing that. So here are some verses that uh, that prove that sin taxes are a, misno a misnomer and sort of prove that anarchist Christianity is the only way to be. Uh, quote, no man can serve two masters. That's Matthew 6.24. That one, he, like, you will grow to love the one and hate the other or love, uh, or love the one and hate the other. Um he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, John 8, 12. I come not to send peace, but a sword, Matthew 10, 34. My kingdom is not of this world, uh, John 18, 36. And a friend of the world is an enemy of God, James 4, 4. And so then there's that, and then there's no, like, so I wrote another tweet, because I'm basically reading old tweets that I made on the subject. No man can serve two masters. No man can walk in darkness and light, and he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. So obviously one should conform them however darkly they're ordered to and serve the state. Archonic Christians. And the whole thing about sin is that it's like separation from God. So why is the state telling us how separate we are from God? Can't he do a good enough job of that? So, yeah. This is a good question. Anyway, I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of had to. I had to because there are some, you know, anarchist Christians uh, in the audience. And um, I'm going to try to get some on to discuss this subject. So, like, the entire concept of syntax is something we can really delve into, uh, like, when I do get some Christians on. But basically, um, I, I feel like it's a hypocritical and inherently harmful thing to do because it's like, you know, first off, it's never because of a sin. They want you to sin more because they're profiting. Yeah. So it's it's not going to stop people. People are drunker, more obese, more heart conditions, more everything than they ever have been. People are smoking more and drinking more. And it's it's not changing the the course of addiction. The only way to change the course of addiction would be to improve society, which they're not going to do either because they profit off of all of this. So. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. a subject I, I I can delve into for a while, but yeah. So when it's you like started big pharma, to get... like you expect them to give you the medicine that's going to make you better, really? Yeah, well, especially when they get like B Bill Gates literally saying, "Hey, yeah, Oxford, you shouldn't make this vaccine free and uh, public domain and generic. You should uh, help the big pharma companies profit billions off of it." That. That's the, that's the way to solve the pandemic. Um, so with that in mind, then, 
what medicinal qualities would you say are best extracted by ethanol that couldn't be extracted by other means? Um, anything that you can extract with ethanol is probably also water soluble just because it's a polarity issue. So what you're looking at is, does it have an OH group on it somewhere? Is that going to be attracted to water and also ethanol? The thing is, ethanol is going to be better than water. So anything that I can make a tea out of and get the medicinal benefits of, I can make an extract with ethanol and get more potent medicinal benefits with. So, um, it there's I don't think there's anything that you can only use ethanol for inherently, um, but it's just going to be a better solvent for most things. Because all you're trying to do is get like your your uh, ethanol to like sort of rip parts of the other thing off of it, sort of pull yeah. atoms. Yeah, it's going to pull. Yeah, the medicinal compounds. So you've got molecules in there, the ones that you're looking for, and they're mixed in with all the plant material. So when you make a tincture, you're going to take that plant material and try to get uh, little tiny pieces of it. So you can chop it up or mash it up or, you know, put it in the blender if you want, but then it might be hard to get out um, and then put your ethanol in. So just increase the amount of surface area of your plant matter and then put your ethanol in and then shake it up, shake it up a lot, let it sit and shake it up some more. Um, and then when you strain it, you'll get the medicinal compounds in with your ethanol. And then you can, you know, discard the plant material. You can put it in your compost if you want. Although I've heard of the spagyric method, and I don't know if that's supposed to be a hard G or a soft G, but it's an alchemical method where people actually take that plant material and they burn it after they've used it in the tincture and they use those minerals and put them back in their tincture. So like the ash they get from burning it, they'll put back into their medicine. Um, and I guess it's more of like a, a whole plant-based kind of thing. And I've never tried that, but very interested in trying it. And I probably will with the next usnea extraction that I do because I think it's it's super mm. interesting and in using the whole plant um you get so much more from plant-based medicine than you do from like synthetic crap so and and most of the time they started with the synthetic stuff at a plant anyway so it's like why not go straight to the source and then you find out like go down that rabbit hole this is where I went when I was a junior in college like one of my inorganic chem professors was talking to me and he was like, oh yeah, they started, you know, this, uh, well, you know, aspirin with the willow tree bark or whatever. Um, and so I like started looking into it and a lot of the medicines that they base these synthetics on, you're not legally allowed to grow. Mm -hmm. And that's insane to me. It's like what you're going to bust me for growing a flower in my garden because, you know, I might be competition for big pharma. What? Well, yeah, you know, Big Pharma, one of the people that they literally empowered to do this sort of thing, like uh, the U.S. government likes to pretend that they didn't want the Taliban to like start growing and exporting opium. They like to pretend that they gave them that money for criminalization efforts alone. But, you know, it's very clear to anyone with a thinking brain that the reason they wanted that in the region was so that they would have a consistent reason using global war on drugs um, to say, hey, we need to put boots on the ground. So we need a massive war killing like millions of people um, in many countries um, 
that like sort of gradually drags on and on and on and on and keeps us uh, dominant over the region gives us gives us regional footholds for trade and for like you know like uh resources that sort of thing we want that so we're gonna make make sure that the basis for it is terrorism which we were responsible for through operation cyclone and opium which we were responsible through the funding of the taliban government before 9 11. um but people don't like to talk about that. They don't like to talk about that the U.S. government is hiding that, hey, we did that. And and by we, I'm not including us, by the way. I'm just saying, like, we as, like, role-playing the U.S. government. Like, we did that. We know we did that. And fuck you if you don't like it. We'll, 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 we'll kill you or or your family if you don't like it. Because that's that's the way we are. We're the U.S. government. We're all about freedom as long as we can sell it. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, like the fact that if you or I or, you know, someone with a chronic illness that has severe pain wanted to grow their own field of poppies so that they could have some pain management that they were in charge of, then they're going to get fucked big time. <laughs> Yeah, like you can't stick your toes in that water. That water belongs to the government, right? But um, I think that we should all do that anyway. Like, grow your own poppies for real. They they sell the seeds. You can buy the seeds. You can buy the seeds all you want. So, like, put them in seed bombs and go plant them at the DEA. Like, put them with <laughs> marijuana in seed bombs and like throw them at the cop shop. Like, do it and then you know. Plant them along the roadsides and pretend you broke down and you're harvesting them. I don't know. Like, you can do all of these things, plant all of these things. And if enough of us are doing it, they can't, like, who, are, what the fuck are they going to do? Mm -hmm. If you and every single one of your neighbors are all growing your own poppies and marijuana or whatever it is, like, what the fuck are they going to do? At, like, there's so, only so many of them, you know? Yeah. This is like every, you've got to get like everybody on board though. And, I know a lot of people who are on board with making their own medicine, but they draw the line at like illegal plants or whatever, which. Yeah, it's such a shame. Well, OK, so actually, then let's talk about some harvesting here because, you know, it, we're bumping up on the end of the recording, but I, I wanted to make sure we, we we covered this. Let's talk two things. First off, guerrilla gardening and then second off foraging. So. To start off, like the gorilla gardening subject, um, what do you generally gorilla garden? Um, so this is going to be another thing that you want to check regionally, uh, see what does well in your area, and then gorilla garden things that other people can easily recognize, um, because especially if you're doing it like we do. So we go out in areas that are generally homeless camp in, um, or you know, like. Uh, hikers or stuff will be walking along and they'll, they might be able to find this stuff. Um, but we try to focus a lot on spots where people who might not have access to food would probably find it. So we'll plant things like, um, you know, mustard greens or um, beans, um, blackberries, lots of blackberries, uh, you know, like things that are, also growing native in your area are probably better to focus on too. Um, a lot of 
fruits and nut trees if you can. And I know that's asking a lot because um, a lot of those don't do well from seeds. But if you're eating them anyway, just save your seeds and try to throw them out. Like it's one of the best things that we can do. Like fruit and nut trees are big around here. Um, what else? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then like for medicinal herbs, I throw those out too. Um, a lot of yarrow, a lot of St. John's wort, you know, if you go looking for mushrooms or whatever, always carry like a mesh bag. So you drop spores. And then next time you go out, you'll find mushrooms along the path where you drop them. And, and the mushrooms are also a great one. Like if you can drop spores, um, because that's going to feed people and got a lot of, you know, good nutritional benefits. Um, and some of them are even like you can sell. So if, you know, you plant a bunch of morels and someone who doesn't have or not plant, you know, drop the spores from a bunch of morels and someone who doesn't have like a lot of money comes along and finds them, they can like sell them for a pretty penny and then use that to buy whatever, uh, you know, other food that they wanted. But, um, yeah, that's, it's something that you, it's kind of, you got to do on an individual basis. Um, like I can tell you what we plant here when we grill a garden, but it's probably not going to be the same thing that you want to do where you're at. Just like look into what grows naturally um, just on its own there. Like look into that right. and then whatever is edible plant. <laughs> For sure. Especially if you, one of the things it's on my bucket list um, when I eventually get my insane person bunker, cause that's a, like, I have this plan that I'm going to get like a bunker and um, like build it into a hillside. And w one of the things I want to do is I want to like recycle my own waste and I want to use it for both power and also for nutrients to feed things like mushrooms. And one of the mushrooms uh, that, that, that grows really well on that sort of thing is uh, chicken of the woods, uh, and it's a high-protein source. So if I could just feed that back in and get protein out of it um, and then take whatever, you know, whatever doesn't get, like, devoted to that and put it in other plants and things like that, be much more self-sustaining. That's, 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 that's on my goals list. That's like ultimate goals list, even though like it's certainly not practical now. And the, the bunker I want to build uh, would be very expensive. So it's, it's like very bucket list, like future goals kind of, kind of bullshit. But like, um, you know, it's, it's things people don't think about. It's like, how do I get protein out of mushrooms? And people don't think of mushrooms as a protein source and they don't know about chicken of the woods or anything like that. They don't know about the, you know, the, the nootropic and adaptogenic benefits like reishi and lion's mane and cordyceps and all that shit. And so they're like, oh, mushrooms, you're just growing mushrooms. You just want to get hot. No, no, no. The ones I want to grow is specifically not for that. And they're specifically not for that because like, hey, I'm clean and sober. You can grow mushrooms and be clean and sober. <laughs> yeah, there's all like, so we grew uh, some blue oysters here. We've grown lion's mane. This is just me and the kids messing around with different like grow kits. We went to a place in town and they had like some grow kits or whatever. But I am currently working on... Um, my own still air box and I'm going to start cultivating and growing more mushrooms here. It is my goal. Um, all different kinds. 
but we can find a lot of chicken of the woods, hen of the woods, turkey tail, uh, those grow. And I found reishi once growing, um, in the woods here, but those all grow. So I don't have to worry about those, those, but like the lion's mane, I'll, I'll probably try to grow on my own, um, maybe some cordyceps and then, um, I think we can find puff balls usually. So, yeah. Well, so, okay. Then like, uh, I guess to round out the episode, what foraging do you do and what's generally available in your area? Like. So I, I do a lot of foraging, not necessarily for edible things, but for medicinal things. Um, yarrow grows here. St. John's wort grows here. Like all those mushrooms that I mentioned. Um, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of plants that are regenerative. So like comfrey and heal all, um, those grow rampant around here, uh, ramps. So that's an edible one that you can find, um, Queen Anne's lace that's all over the place. Um, usnea is grows like crazy. It's a lichen. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, it's I called, have not. yeah, it's called old man's beard. Um, it's this really cool lichen. Uh, it's green. And if you pull on it, like it reveals like a white inner strand. Um, but it's, it itself is an antibiotic. So you can extract it and use it to treat any gram positive infection that you might have. So a lot of people, you can use it for strep throat. You can use it to treat um, any like topical infections and it's, it grows on the trees. And what I do is I'll wait till after we have a big storm and then we'll go out and look for branches that have fallen and then pick it off of there. But I've got five gallons of tincture this year and I have enough plant or lichen matter, I guess, to do another three or four. Um, so we, I mean, we've got plenty in our area and you don't have to, you can sustainably harvest it just waiting till it falls off. You don't have to like climb the trees and go after it yourself. And it's actually better if you don't, because then, you know, it still stays part of the environment until it's at a point where it's no longer able to do what it does. Um, and then you can harvest it for your own purposes. Um, but yeah, that's definitely one that I'm always looking for. Um, and then the turkey tail, you can do a double extraction on that too. And it's got a lot of um, health benefits as well. And that one grows all over the place here on like any downed log you see, you can find it, probably find a turkey tail mushroom on it somewhere. Um, it's just a lot of these things, like you're going to have to go out and look and you won't, you can look online, you can look at pictures all you want, but you won't know until you get out and you actually start examining it. Um, I have several apps that I use. One's called Seek, which is super helpful. It's actually like, I think they're still working on developing it fully, but you can like just put your camera over something and it'll try to ID it for you. And then another one um, called Leaf Snap, where you just take a picture and it will uh, give you like possible, like it could be this one or it could be that one. So you still have to like look into it. But what I think would be really neat is if there was some kind of app that would do that, as well as telling you the medicinal properties. Um, and I don't know if that would be really cool for anybody other than me, but I would love that. Uh, anyway, I just do that like in multiple steps now. So I like look, try to figure out what it is. Um, I have a, a book. It's, I think it's Appalachian. Yeah, it's an Appalachian guide to um, 
Appalachian guide to herbs, I think, but it's all about foraging and they, but they don't include any pictures, which is probably a good thing. Um, like it forced me to learn like the different names for plant parts. Um, and it forced me to be able to identify them like without having right. to see what they look like first. So like you look at the stem shape and you look at the leaf shape and you look at the uh, veins on the leaves and you look at all of those kinds of things um, to try to determine what the plant is before you can just say, oh, it's that because you've seen a picture of it before, you know? Yeah, well, and also like this is one of those things where community helps because like if if passing down of elder knowledge is important and it's a it's like sort of skill lost time. And here's where I get to piss people off, mostly because elders have less knowledge than they used to in terms of practical things um, and like have much more incentive to just sit on their ass and collect social security um or other sorts of government benefits and they didn't actually have to work as hard as previous elders to get the sort of respect your elders respect but um elders who actually did give a shit and did try to earn their keep uh, they're still a very valuable resource and i feel like building a community with people like that and not the guy who's an ARP ad who like runs around on his uh, mobility scooter uh, <laughs> collecting benefits. The ones who are actually out there still trying to live this this life, the ones who bout that life, uh, right. those people, those people are like hugely valuable resources. And I know like quite a few of them like like old people who who've earned their age and like really like. Uh, bear the essence of trying to like bring back these cultural traditions that have sort of been lost to time. Um, and so I feel like it's a good place to tell people, like, you know, talk to people, especially people who have like the time and expertise to like actually get these things like move forward into the future generations and don't be afraid to ask people in your area who are into this, you know, look, look on Facebook, see if you can or find a group. Markets. Yeah. Yes. Markets a great place to meet people who are into these kinds of things. Um, there's a herbalist who goes to the one that um, we sell at and her wife is a apiary. So like they keep bees and they've got, and she does all of this stuff with herbs. And I, I swear they have been a fountain of knowledge for me. Um, like getting to know about other plants that are in the area that I didn't know about. Cause you know, I'm just now like, I'm getting my feet wet with it for real. I've only been doing that stuff for like two years now. So mm -hmm. uh, the herbalism, um, knowing them and then, you know, the other, the online community, but yeah, definitely local farmers markets are a uh, place to go for information about gardening and foraging because, you know, a lot of people are still into like looking into getting out in the wild and finding their own sources for medicine. Um, and a lot of people are actually getting into that for the first time. So it's just a, a place to go where you can share what you know and also learn what other people know. Um, and then also the, I don't know if a lot of people have looked into it, but the Freedom Cell group here locally is big um, and they've been huge as far as like helping me um, with a lot of the gardening things and a lot of the foraging things as well. And then my kids co-op. Skills, yeah. 
Yeah. And my kids co-op, we used to go to a homeschooling cooperative. Um, and a lot of the people there were super helpful. Like one lady, she had a goat farm and she grew garlic on her goat farm and, and they were like, it's just always so, so interesting. And you learn all of these new things. Like I, I had grown garlic. I grew elephant garlic the year before, and it just came up in these big giant there was only one clove and I was like, what the heck is going on? And she was able to tell me it was because the temperatures didn't get low enough and it has to, the temperatures have to go like below 30 degrees for it to separate into smaller cloves. And I didn't know that, but I learned that information just from talking to, you know, other people in the community. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well then in that regard, then what would you recommend? I guess this is sort of a final question here to the people who are just getting into this. And how would how how would you like say that they should progress in getting like their absolute like they're wet behind the ears, get their like absolute first things going? Oh, man, just just do it like you're going to fuck up. <laughs> you will. There will be lots of fuck ups. There will be lots of fun fuck ups and fuck ups where you like learn things. But you're just going to have to do it because if you keep waiting for the perfect moment when you know everything, then you're going to be waiting forever. Like, yep. Just, just try. Like the worst thing that can happen is you fail and start over. Yeah. For, well, it's like, it's like the, the, the phrase that I heard quite a bit uh, a while back and I don't know where this phrase went, but it's a good one. It's failing upward. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, way, that's what I've no. done with gardening. Just fail upward the whole time. Yeah. And that and that's a good mentality to have, because like, a, you know, to me, I'm a I'm a, a black pilled pessimist. I'm I'm well into like just, you know, everything is going to die. We're all going to lose like the state's going to cause apocalypse, all that shit. You know, I'm into that. Right. Um, and so to me, if like the potential for failure was enough reason to just stop doing anything. I should just not do anything at all. Like, because I think this is all going to, I, I repeatedly say this, I've got it down to a T, you know, it's like, we're going to, this is all going to end in rivers of blood and years of darkness, the likes of which will make revelations look like a children's story. And like, that's the way things are going in, in my view, I think things are going into a. So if, if I think that, um, and I'm not still willing to like go, you know, then yeah, sure. I should like treat every failure as a reason to stop. But if I think that and still think there's a way forward, then, you know, everything's on the table because it's sort of like that, you know, that, that Heinlein quote, which is like, you know, it, certainly the game is rigged. Don't let that stop you. If you don't bet, you can't win. It's, it's, you know, you might lose a few crops. You might lose a few things but you're gonna end up better than people who don't do it at all <laughs> yeah yeah well and of course you know that's just from the like sort of negativist perspective because you you don't waste time by experimentation and finding out what didn't work for you like it's just finding out better ways not more majorly in the future because you didn't devote like all your stuff to that resource yeah that's true that's true yeah well, so I guess then uh, where can people find you um, and like what is the uh, let's make some shit podcast? So we talk about all of that uh, 
fucking up but <laughs> um yeah we we do we've uh got shows where we talk about like how to make different herbal medicines um we've had people come on and talk about how to make edibles we've talked i've got an episode where we talked about how to make moonshine um it's just a whole bunch of different people talking about their experiences making things and like how they messed up and what they learned and that's really what it is it's it's kind of i guess a helping people get over that initial barrier to projects like you don't want to do it because you're afraid of xyz thing like we're going to talk about xyz thing and we're going to talk about how it happened and then what we did to fix it so maybe our listeners on let's make some shit don't have to you know fuck up the way we did or if they do they can definitely laugh about it with us <laughs> for sure but if you guys right. want to um find me i'm on twitter at mother of chaos and that's x-a-o-s or um, at radical underscore resonance on Telegram. Very cool. All right. Well, then I got the quote to wrap this up. Don't try to make life a mathematics problem with yourself in the center and everything coming out equal. When you're good, bad things can still happen. And if you're bad, you can still be lucky. Barbara King Solver. Gorus Nexus out. Join the revolution starting inside. An instrumental part of a gore worldwide. A gore worldwide. A gore worldwide. Counter economics. Agorist strip. Black market click. Move a quick flip. Can't regulate this. Agorist strip. Black market click. Move a quick flip. Can't regulate this. Agorist. 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 Agorist.